Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. I have a pretty good uh, introduction to a joke for you. Okay. What do the create what What does the creator of Bitcoin, the author of Harry Potter, and the author of the Federalist Papers have in common? We talked about them on this podcast three and a half years ago. <laughs> that yeah, yeah. I, I told you I only had the first part of the joke. I don't have a punchline, but we're going to talk about a fourth. Mystery author. Into, yeah, mystery author. Uh, in one moment, you are listening to Linear Digressions. Uh, when I was in high school, we were, we were making this uh, student film. And part of the student film was this person was trying to tell all these jokes and kept getting interrupted. And so we actually got to write the, a whole bunch of beginnings of jokes, but none of them have endings. Uh, so it, it's kind of a strange writing exercise to do. Oh, so one of my friends and I had a kind of a similar thing, except they were always just the punchlines of jokes, but there was no joke. Oh, anyway, you know, you guys should have teamed up with, uh, with me and, <laughs> and we could have probably... made pretty bad jokes. Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, well, depending on, I don't know very much about your friends, but, uh, let's use this to transition into topics in data science my guess is that some of your friends probably had different joke telling styles so maybe there was a friend who was always doing knock knock jokes and there was a friend who was always doing pun jokes that was probably you um, sometimes people are very ornate storytelling jokesters some people are into the one-liners right yeah that that sounds like a lot of different people i'm i'm really sorry to disappoint you katie but i only had one friend so like period yeah just one friend <laughs> oh no that's that's not exactly true i did have only have one friend who i made up random jokes with but i would agree with you that my joke telling style and that person's joke telling style are uh, are different well then you are fairly typical because most people have in their speech in their writing in their mannerisms they have characteristic ways that they express themselves and so then in some cases, people will, let's take the case of writing, they will write something, but not want it to be attributed back to them. But if you have enough writing samples, you can sometimes match it back stylistically anyway, which brings us to the intro and the first three people that we talked about and bring us to a fourth, the latest installation of who wrote that, uh, New York Times op-ed edition. Uh, hmm. You heard about this New York Times op-ed, right? I did not actually. You're kidding. No, are you I'm, just are I'm, you just saying that for stagecraft right I now? I promise I'm not just saying that. I have been I when when did it come out? Uh well so as we're recording this about a week ago. Okay. So like uh, early September. Uh-huh. I have had my head in in like in the sand for a while. Oh man, Ben, I'm so excited that I get to tell you about this Oh, this is piece great. of okay. political intrigue. Okay. Because so, I, I could have, I could be pretending, but I'm, I promise I'm actually not. Okay. Well, this is very exciting then. So here's the story. Uh, so there was a New York Times op-ed that appeared on in the New York Times uh, about a week ago. And as we're recording this, so it'll be, you know, 10 days or something by the time it gets out. And so there were a couple things that were notable about this op-ed. Number one, it was anonymous. Um, and so there's a... Very oh. small number of people at the New York Times. You sound like this maybe is, you've heard about this. Wait, is this the is this the whole um, someone in the White House wrote uh -huh. a thing? 
Uh-huh. Oh, yes. fascinating. I did hear about that. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, so I'll finish telling you the story and for anyone yeah. else who, who missed this somehow. Uh, so this anonymous op-ed that was run in the New York Times, and this is fairly rare. I think this is the third time in four yeah. years or something like this that they've run an anonymous op-ed. And usually they only do it in cases where someone's uh, safety, their livelihood, something like that is in danger. This is not something that is taken very lightly. Um, but this is someone who is a quote unquote senior administration official. And uh, they were saying that currently works in the White House. And they were saying that there's kind of this understanding or practice amongst some of the senior staff at the White House to undermine the president in these kind of small, mundane, everyday ways, but that sort of guard against some of his worst tendencies. And so the thing that was very striking about this was, number one, it's a person who's currently working in the White House saying all of these things. It's, you know, kind of the most, this person was, was claiming to be part of that effort. And so kind of a very interesting and direct piece of evidence where someone is raising their hand and saying, yes, this is going on. I know about it, but there's all the intrigue of who that actually is. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, I I did read this. I, I it just didn't connect it uh, for me, but I, I did read this. And as I was reading it, I remember thinking if they were smart, then they would have written it and then had someone else rewrite it for them because of this exact issue. Well, yeah, exactly. Where this exact issue is what we're going to talk about, which is it's at least theoretically totally plausible that you could figure out who wrote this <laughs> because as we mentioned with some of these other folks that we've talked about in the past, JK Rowling, author of Harry Potter, very famously wrote some books under a pseudonym and was not tied back to them for a long time, but they there was a text analysis that made that connection. Uh, Satoshi Nakamoto is the author of the original Bitcoin white paper and, and has, I think, some presence occasionally or has in the past on Bitcoin exchanges, but no one actually knows who he is as a person. Uh, so there's some some efforts sometimes to take some of that work and tie it back to other folks who are intellectual contributors to blockchain intelligentsia. So Satoshi, J.K. Rowling. And then the third one is the the um, Federalist Papers that were written by some of the founding fathers during uh, the founding of the United States were very famously written under, there were three different authors, they were written under a shared pseudonym. And so disentangling the, the authors from one another uh, was a textual analysis uh, work that was done much, much later to try to figure out who wrote the vast majority of the papers. And because I know how much you like Hamilton, I will just point Mm -hmm. out that, of course, the author of most of them was Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, I was sitting here trying to think of what the right quote would be to just, you know, drop in there quietly. Well, isn't there, there's the, yeah, no, there's the part, I mean, there's the part in Hamilton where they actually reference him writing the Federalist Papers because he wrote a lot of them. Um, yeah, um, but he didn't actually sign them, and so they had to figure that out using data Oh, science, yeah, basically. that's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, so anyway, I we talked about those first three, but I thought this week might be a fun time to come back and talk about the general idea here again, and how would you try to figure out who the author is of the New York Times op-ed? 
How would you? How would you? So that I is mean, an excellent question. You probably need a short list of people that you're uh, looking at their writing styles, right? So I guess you got to like figure out, okay, who are the senior officials who who might have, who, who are candidates for having potentially written this? Yeah. And because the New York Times just identified this person as a senior administration official, there's a little bit of interpretation about who even fits that bill. Mm-hmm. But uh, most people, like a plausible a plausible net that you could cast would be uh, White House administ- White House officials and staffers and senior folks in the administration, and then also cabinet secretaries. And maybe you would go down one or two levels from all the principals. So maybe would a deputy secretary count as a senior administration official? I don't really know, but you know if you can if you if you like you can put them on the list of candidates so you somehow compile some list of who all the plausible people could be and presumably there's not more than maybe a few hundred of them and then let's circle back to this in a moment because it's actually the crux of the whole thing for me but let's suppose that you came up with writing samples for all of those different candidates so you somehow were able to get your hands on their emails their memos that they write internally the reports that they mm. that they like themselves large, are writing a large corpus of writing for all of them exactly so then you have a training set that gives you the examples of what each of these people how they write and so then there's a fairly simple thing that you can start with called tfidf and tfidf stands for term frequency inverse document frequency <laughs> thank god it's friday <laughs> yeah and that is basically looking at the vocabulary that people use as they are writing. Mm-hmm. And term frequency is how often do you use particular words. And inverse document frequency is how rare are those words across the corpus as a whole. The idea being that when people use certain words that are infrequently or that are not common, uh, those are the types of things that are particularly strong signatures of an individual's writing style. Oh, interesting. Okay, so so you're basically looking at the way that they, not not the way that they use words, but the the amount that they use particular words. Yeah, the actual vocabulary that they have, and the most notable example of this, for those of you who've really been following this story, is very famously there's some line in the op-ed that uses the word lodestar, which is apparently a thing that Mike Pence likes to say. So that led to all kinds of speculation that it was Mike Pence just on the basis of that single word because nobody else uses that word. But who knows? Of course, they they could be uh, countering these efforts uh, carefully. Yes, obscuring their writing style. Right. And in fact, it's true that when people try to, when they try to obscure their style, when they try to write in the style of someone else, Usually it's pretty hard for algorithms to detect that. If I tried to write like Shakespeare, you wouldn't be able to tell that it was me, most likely. But anyway, so you come up with TFIDF numbers for all of the vocabulary words that you see in that op-ed compared to the typical uh, writing samples from all of your candidates. And then there's some there's a bunch of different types of machine learning algorithms that you could stick that into that would give you different estimates of how likely each person is. So naive Bayes is one algorithm that uses Bayes theorem to 
trade off uh, sort of the probability that someone someone who is that author would use a certain word divided by sort of the overall probability of anyone using that word. Mm. I might be getting that slightly wrong, but naive phase is, is one algorithm you could stick them into. You could do something pretty simple called a cosine distance where you're just vectorizing the word. So you turn it into sort of a long string of numbers where the position of each one of those numbers encodes which word it corresponds to. And then look at the vectors, compare the vectors of all the different candidates to each other. And you see which ones are the vectors that line up the most, which basically says it's a kind of way of saying these people use the same words a lot. So once you have the vocabulary broken down, there's a lot of simple things you can do. And there's also more complex things you can do if you wanted. So you could do things like look not just at single vocabulary words, but at bigrams and trigrams, which is where you look at phrases of two or three words. Right. Yeah, because sometimes the words together um, indicate something more. Like the word the with something else probably doesn't indicate very much. But if you have particular compound words or um, particular combinations of like verbs and other words or something. Yeah, like let's suppose you got, you had a bunch of not very high quality candidates in there and one of them really likes to talk about witches and also likes to talk about going hunting but the phrase winch witch hunt is a very particular two-word phrase that doesn't you know usually does not mean literally witches or hunting anymore that's a great example (laughs) (laughs) Um, although wouldn't wouldn't it be amazing if it was actually trump himself who wrote the op-ed well so it's kind of funny because of all the different candidates very often he's the one who comes out the top just because <laughs> you know he talks about russia a lot and yeah trump a lot <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> these kinds of things and then if you're really feeling sophisticated you could come up with higher level features of the writing styles themselves so sometimes when there's if you're for example a i don't know let's say a biblical scholar or something like this you're trying to really dive very very deeply into a particular text and understand authorship of it very often they'll look at things like sentence structure use of metaphors all these other things that are the more sophisticated aspects of someone's writing in a sense yeah i mean one advantage of that for uh, biblical stuff is that the bible is really big it's really long so that's a lot of that's a big that's a fairly big corpus Whereas I imagine that the writing samples you could get from some of these people might be smaller or might be skewed more towards uh, certain types of writing, whereas other people would be skewed towards different ones. Well, that's a perfect setup, actually, for the thing I wanted to circle back to that we punted on before, which is where do you actually get the the corpus that you're going to use for that comparison? And that's one of the things that I think is actually hardest about this entire exercise or this entire premise is it it starts out with the idea that we have a bunch of writing samples from hundreds of people and that's a little bit implausible and in particular and so you can come up with writing samples the way that uh, i found a couple of articles that did this analysis and in general they were using tweets that they had scraped but that also introduces questions of in some cases Mm. you know people are not in charge of their own twitter accounts tweets are very short also, uh, yeah, do you tweet like you op-ed? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I sure don't. There might be other people who do, but I remember, a, you know, a conversation that 
you and I once had where you said, you know, there was one tweet that you made and it was something about how you thought golf courses were stupid or something like that's not a very good training corpus. Uh, I mean, that's your one tweet. Stupid is your interpretation. Sure. It was Um, about the golf ball to course size ratio. Ah, sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, That's an important point. Yeah. And another one was about the squirrels on Stanford's campus. Oh, I think like those are probably just that they're pretty um two that's maybe two out of my five tweets i don't know cool yeah so if someone were trying to figure out say whether you had written a particular email based on the content of those tweets that might be a little bit challenging um yeah anyway all this to say that writing an op-ed in the new york times is maybe an atypical form of writing for a lot of folks and so it's it's kind of hard to get a bunch of comparable writing samples especially once you start to multiply it out across all the different people that you would need to do that for so is this actually possible to do the reconstruction like probably not in the last couple of days or however long it's been since this thing came out it's just kind of a fun thing to try out but i wouldn't be surprised if you know whatever a couple years from now somebody's writing a book about all of this and they ex post come up with a pretty strong theory of who might have written it because they're able to compile a good enough training set or something like that so certainly theoretically possible right now mostly just a just a fun thing to chatter about for a few minutes on the internet all right so we've got the creator of bitcoin the author of harry potter the author of the federalist papers and a senior official in the trump white house uh that all have this in common they have been featured on linear digressions Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.